Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Thursday morning. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Maybe boxing. Who knows? Also, we got an interview for you. Eric Nixick, noted MMA and boxing coach. Yeah, he's a head coach, an assistant coach. He's a general manager at Extreme Couture. Good friend of the show. And we're going to chat with him. And, of course, some of the latest news, uh, and, and I, I got to tell you guys, some of it's ridiculous. So there might be some clowning going on. All right. Buckle up. Let's go. All right, guys. So what do you want to start with? Some clowning? Yeah. What is Sean O'Malley thinking? Wondering if the UFC loses money when Conor McGregor fights on his, well, no, yeah, on his podcast, Timbo Sugar Show. He says, you know what's crazy is Conor is supposedly just begging for a fight. Give me a fight. Let me fight, daddy. Conor says his patient is wearing thin over UFC inactivity. I wonder if he's making so much money per fight that it's really just not that beneficial to the UFC, like they're losing money when he fights. I wonder if his deal is structured in a way where it's like, fuck, come on, man. Like, if there's one thing the UFC, uh, one label that they haven't shed over all these years is ruthless when it comes to negotiating. There's few stars that have been able to get up there and throw some hands against the UFC where it's beneficial to both parties, but it's nowhere like boxing. And most of the time, the UFC just clearly has the upper hand. I mean, Connor's responsible probably for the top five biggest payouts ever. I mean, I got to imagine him versus Habib was like 2.4 million buys. And then him versus Dustin Poirier and him versus Nate Diaz. Uh, he threw down against each of them a couple times. The one against Eddie Alvarez. I mean, they all went over a million pay-per-view buys. There's no way, no way that the UFC is not making money. I mean, wouldn't they have learned their lesson along the way? You know, this has to do, folks, with Connor hurt his leg. And I think he's just had trouble. Uh, getting back to 100%. Hell, isn't there an E60 goes about Chris Weidman? I've been dying to watch it. Yeah. Where they kind of follow him these last three years or whatever, whenever it was, where, I mean, th- there was a threat of even having the leg amputated. Yeah. Um, even if you if you go back, uh, who was a quarterback that the 49ers had for a while that the, the commanders had? Uh, Alex Smith. They did one mm. on him, too where it was a very similar situation. It's a nasty injury. It's weird because I, 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 Sean O'Malley's grown on me. He cracks me up, but holy shit. Like saying that they lose money is absolutely batshit crazy. But even if you were to say, 
I don't think they make that much money. That would be crazy. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, the UFC bends over backwards to try and get this guy into fights to put him on pay-per-views. The dude kills it. The UFC kills it when he fights. Come on, Sean. The city of Las Vegas or New York or wherever he fights, they kill it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, this guy will headline cards, and he's not even a champion. He's the exception when it comes to a lot of things. The one thing I might agree with Sean, had he had said it, was, you know, his run on tough wasn't as big as everyone thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'd probably say that's true. Because remember mm-hmm. that that's that season with Kimbo Slice, that was massive. And I don't think anything's ever matched that one. But that's when tough was popping a little bit more. Right now, you know, it's just kind of force-fed to us. I think all of us have moved on to Dana White Contender Series. But, you know, sure, if you're going to toss that at us, let's just fast forward until we get to the fight or the drama, and then that's it. I mean, heck, we right now we got two coaches that might not even fight each other. So it's like, you know, you, you got featherweights, women's featherweights that just immediately drop down to bantamweight and heavyweights that drop down to light heavyweight like it. It doesn't serve its purpose like it used to. Unlike I mean, Dana White Contender Series is all over it, you know. So, yeah, whatever. Um, Sean, you tripping? Um, I mean, like literally, come back on your next show and say, "Hey, I done fucked up, everyone. I was high," you know. Uh, forget I even said it <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's just that's. Well, it's, it's dumb. And, you know, one thing I'll say about Sean, he's never really tried to come off as an intellectual. And maybe that's why I find him so appealing, because he does just say silly stuff. Every once in a while, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, every once in a while, I tip my hat to the way he's actually managed his career. He always seemed to get fights he wanted, where he wanted, when he wanted. And, you know... And he showed up for those fights. When it was time to deliver, he did. So, like, that I can't take away from him. You know, he's definitely got a style to him. He is very, very popular. But, yeah, like, if you're going to graduate to now hosting a show and having your opinion matter, like, you got to get away from stuff like that. Because, look, if they lose with him, who do they make money? I mean, look, in a way, goes, he almost took a shot at the whole fraternity of fighters. Like, hey, guys, let's take it easy. It's not... Let's not send the the UFC such a big wage bill for fighting, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, the UFC is already making a ton of money, and fighters are fighting for theirs, and especially the ones that have a reason to, the ones that sell tickets, pay-per-views, all that stuff. Um, Yeah, he he went against the grain there. Uh, Here's a a few more other things that took place. Uh, Well, let's just stay with McGregor, I guess. We'll do the handoff from one thing to the other. So... McGregor is, you know, he's done his media, right? His latest media was out in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. It was a big boxing match over the weekend. Anthony Joshua fought. Deontay Wilder fought and lost, by the way. Joshua won. And so uh, a lot, you know, same recipe where a lot of noted international athletes, superstars were invited, mostly combat sports, but... Good old Ronaldo was there as well. And, of course, when McGregor was asked about when he's coming next, he still kind of went on this rant. Like, his, he's running out of patience. They're messing with me, this and that. And I don't find that guy to be stupid. But I find to be 
I find his supporters to be stupid because he's got to he's got to know that basically we were waiting on you. You were the one that needed to get back into the protocol. I think what he wanted was to maybe flex so much muscle because he is a superstar, Sean O'Malley, that he wanted to bypass maybe all kinds of testing. Not because I honestly don't think because he wanted to cheat and get the advantage, um, you know, like HGH, like better cardio or being stronger or anything. I honestly think, man, I really think, because this guy's passed so many tests and as bizarre as of an individual as he's turned out to be, at the, at the heart of him, he does seem like a fighter who wants things on fair terms. I just think he needed that whatever he was on to really get his leg back to 100%. But he still puts it out there, and I think he thinks because he's such a big star that if you're going to be like, yeah, UFC, what's up? Get him in there sooner than later. Break your own rule of the six months and two tests if you've retired, and it's just not going to happen. So basically, it has been on him. I think he just wants to flex. I just think he wants to throw that in everyone else's face and say, you see, I do things on my terms. And right now the UFC was backed into such a big corner that that's just not going to happen. And they were backed into that corner because of Conor McGregor, because he wouldn't shut the hell up. Had he maybe calmed down a little bit, maybe they would have done something like that, the exemption or whatever, you know, but he was just so vocal about, I don't have to follow any rules that, I think it just put too much of a spotlight on him. Yeah. He's a victim of his of himself, honestly. He went back in the USADA pool. And there was this was official, by the way. USADA had put something out on October 8th of 2023. So knowing that they were going to stick to the six months, that puts us at April of 2023. The good thing is he can fight at UFC 300. His coach, John Kavanaugh, had said, it looks like 300 so stacked, they may save us till the summer. Maybe that, maybe that frustrated Connor. I could see, like, I could see him saying, Hey, look, you know, when I come back, I want to get down. But anything else was really on Connor. It was just a matter of when you got back in the pool, six months, two tests, no, ex- no exemptions. They've had a whole lawsuit over bypassing over these exemptions with Mark Hunt and Brock Lesnar. And I don't think they wanted to go down that road again. They're already in other types of litigation with other things going on. So the UFC was just like, hey, we'll have you back when we'd love to have you back when you're ready. In the meantime, we print money over here. So we'll just print more when you get here, but we still print money. Yeah. Now, this causes a whole mix up. I don't know if you saw there's been stuff going on with Chandler now and Nate Diaz is saying, you know, hey, I'm ready to go. I just don't think there's anyone that's willing to get down with me or whatever. And, and Michael Chandler was like, I'll crack your jaw. You know, let's go. I think Chandler's starting to see that McGregor's just, he's such a wild card. A, McGregor, you know, keeps, he's having problems with the UFC. Uh, and B, he has many possible opponents out there, including Mr. Nate Diaz, including Mr. Dustin Poirier. So that's what being an A-side gets you. I think we've all spent a lot of time in saying, hey, look, you started something with Chandler, finish it with Chandler. And I think we've all said said it over and over, McGregor and Diaz 3 is a bit too late, but we'll watch it. 
Uh, yeah. Is that where you sit pretty much? Oh, yeah. I'm over that fight. Uh, even if it does happen, it's like, who, who gives a shit at this point? But it's interesting. You know, Michael, Michael Chandler, I think he's in a position where even if he gets the Conor McGregor fight, he's in that land where maybe he did possibly lose out on money just because so much time has passed and Chandler's always been an active fighter and who knows how many times he, he could have fought in that period or, you know, who they could have been against. Nate Diaz would be interesting because I think people would still tune in. I think he'd still make a, a paycheck. That's pretty big. It's not going to be anywhere in Connor land, but hell man. I mean, at least, uh, at least it's money to put in the bank. I would, I have to imagine the UFC at some point has given him something for waiting this long, right? Chandler? Cause, yeah, because th- this is way too long to have a fighter just sit around. A fighter who's healthy that could be fighting, but uh, for him to mo- to miss out completely on this uh, Conor McGregor fight, that would just absolutely suck. That would be so stupid. Uh, if Conor is just taking this long. And Nate Diaz is really ready to go uh, because his comment of nobody's willing to fight me is absurd. I mean, I can think of two people right off the bat that would be willing to fight him. Three, actually. Um, Poirier. Poirier, Woodley, and uh, and Chandler. But everybody yeah. wants well, to fight. See. Everybody wants to fight Nate Diaz. So maybe if you do set that up and then you just say, the winner fights Connor no matter what. All right. But how long is Michael Chandler just going to sit back and not get a paycheck? Yeah. No, I, I I don't know about the part where you said DOC has compensated him for sitting around. I don't know if you meant that or if you meant they've offered him another fight because he's been sitting around. I think they've probably compensated him something for, for sitting around. Maybe. Um, they've done things like that in the past, but I don't think they did that. I think they probably offered him a fight, but... Because it's his decision to wait around for, you know, McGregor. Like, obviously, we're waiting on McGregor, but the writing was on the wall. Like, from the moment McGregor said, I'm in USADA, it was still going to be another six months. And he just wouldn't say it over so such a long time. And then he had the legal problems. And any of those legal problems could have led to, you know, other types of time, if you know what I'm saying. But luckily, he's been able to avoid that or just get out of those jams. So I think maybe they've offered him other ones, but he's probably turned it down, and then that saves the UFC's hide. Who knows? All I know is this. I think McGregor Chandler, at this day, December 28th, 2023, McGregor Chandler, Diaz Poirier makes a ton of sense Mm -hmm. for me. I'd like to see that. And there's another thing going on, and you mentioned Tyron Woodley. We'll get to him in just a second because he does tie in with Nate, or I think Nick Diaz. What's going on with that is Islam Makashev and Justin Gaethje. Gaethje's putting out stuff on social media saying, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And guess what, goes? I'm into it. Because if Makashev fights Oliveira again, between fighting Oliveira and Volkanovsky twice each, like, you know, that's not adding to his legacy. You know, it's not really doing much for me personally. I wouldn't mind seeing the BMF against the undisputed champion. You know, it sounds like Oliver had his chance to go. Unfortunately, he had that cut. And why they haven't rebooked it, I mean, I would have thought by now. It's been over two months that cut would have healed. But 
I'm into Gagey and Makashev, by the way. Are you? Yeah. Um, I never thought it was the most ridiculous thing for Charles Oliveira to get a rematch. I, I thought it was just weird that the UFC would look at it that way. But the more time that goes by, the more I just want to see Islam Makashev fight other people. I want to see what we have with him. You know, basically the pool that we're looking at when we try and figure out how good he is, two of those fights are against the 145er. You know, that does nothing for me. I get it. I get I get it. Volkanovski's great. He's still a featherweight in my eyes. So really, we don't have much to judge Islam on. I want to see different matchups, different styles. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, here's what's weird about all this. Makashev had one of the easier fights. No disrespect to Volkanovski, but he wasn't in there that long, and he finished him pretty quick, and it looked to me that he didn't suffer any type of an injury unless he hurt his shin on Volkanovski's head. You know, Volkanovski's the guy we were worried about. He's already booked. And why hasn't Makashev been booked when he has a ton of potential challengers whom he hasn't fought who sell pay-per-views? And then you brush upon Ramadan where he doesn't fight, doesn't make himself available to fight for a month, and then because of the no fasting and no drinking water during sun up, you know, you kind of almost eliminate a month or two before and after just because of what the body goes through. So, like, Ramadan starts, I looked it up, it's March, like, 10th to April 8th. So even if they wanted him, even if they offered him a ton of money, unless he pulled a Hakim Olajuwon from the Houston Rockets, he's not fighting at UFC 299, and he's not fighting at UFC 300. So those are off. And the UFC's already started booking that. That puts us now into May. And, and of course, more than likely, they'll go back to Abu Dhabi. They'll probably want him in October, should he win or whatever. And so, yet again, we have a guy two times a year fighting, you know, defending his title when clearly I think he's at an age where he could do at least one year, three times or something like that. All the champions yeah. sneak in those three fights in one year. Let's get going. Like, what is the holdup? Like, there's plenty of heads. If it, what if Oliver wasn't ready to go, tell Gaethje. You know, maybe they could have been in Toronto. Maybe they could have been in Anaheim. It, it's or maybe they could headline the card in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. UFC wants to make a big splasher. It's only a fight night. It's not, not a pay per view, but still, like, let's get going here, man. No, I agree. I mean, it's just you get over it after a while. The money ain't that great, guys. Seriously, wake, wake, wake the fuck up. Seriously, do you not see what some of these guys, do you not see what Shoni Otani is going to be making next season? Or I always point to Dame Lillard. I'll have to find a new one. I think Anthony Davis signed the best contract during this offseason. Like $60 million a year, $70 million a year. That's money where you can kind of hang back and not do anything. That money you're making, man, a lot of that's going to just – you're going to blow through it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and you're not going to get these years back. Like, you can't do 31 again or 32 again or 33 again or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, guess what? The guys that were 26, 28, 26, 27, 28 are now younger, more durable, hungry. Um, and now they've acquired the knowledge similar to what you have. And, and guess what? You know, like I say, the older, the older guy just gets shown the door at some point. But it's just... To me, it's a little ridiculous how some of these fighters um, manage their careers. And don't even tell me, haters out there, that 
hey, you don't get in there. You don't know what. I mean, I've seen plenty of fighters. You know who's fighting goes at the beginning of the year? Again, Andre Arlovsky. Oh, man. He's think about, think about how much he's he making. He fought at fight. UFC 28. All right? Yeah. He can actually make it maybe to UFC 328. It would probably take about two years. But he's a heavyweight. Fight at 46. Verdum just fought at 46. He, he's fighting yet again. Like, and he usually goes three rounds. There's really not many more knockouts coming, you know, either at him, the chin's holding up, or him putting it on someone else. He gets in there. I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah, that uh, when you consider how much money he probably makes and how often he fights, that dude's pretty set. You know, all of this is just gravy on top the last couple of years. Yeah, he just, he just makes himself available, gets out there, does his thing or whatever, but... I don't know. I'm just frustrated as a fan. Like, I'm not really known as an MMA media guy, journalist, ethics, this, that, whatever. I host a radio show, and I love to watch fights, and I love to watch the best fighters fight. It used to happen a lot more often back in the day, and I'm sure money's had something to do with it, or maybe the way they just stress their bodies out with these camps. Um, then, then, Then you have your Sean Stricklands of the world who are ready to fight three or four times a year. Maybe he'll be the breath of fresh air that we need. Who knows? So, yeah, I'm I'm down to see Islam versus Gagey at this point, and Oliveira. Give him Sarukian, you know. Put them on the same card. Let them be the insurance for the title fight, and then put those other knuckleheads on UFC 300. And whoever left out, I'm sorry, but those are the those are the top names at least on uh, at the top of my head right now. I guess Darius. He has lost two in a row. I'm not sure who you would throw him against, but and, and good old Mateus fight. Good old Mateus Gamrod, he weighed in as the alternate. I haven't even heard his name. Where has he been booked? Do you know? Uh I think he has been booked. Let's see. Um but he's still trying to figure out if he's gonna fight. Oh, really? Is he is that where he sits? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mateus Gamrol has been booked against RDA. Yeah, I really like RDA. I don't want to respect his name, but um, you know, like, I think RDA had even said, "I'm not fighting at 155 anymore. I'm just gonna get down at one at 170." So maybe he changed his mind. I mean, it's a nice name. He's on UFC 299, but does that fight get him any more near? If you were already the alternate, how does fighting RDA get you more near the title mm-hmm. shot? Yeah, it's a dangerous matchup. Must just be one of those where like, hey, I'll just take the paycheck. Get me in there. No. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we'll do one more, and then we'll talk to Eric Nixick. Tyron Woodley, yeah. So Ghost kind of teased it earlier. Tyron Woodley is starting his own promotion. And he told TMZ that he wanted to fight guys that are legendary to him and that they may not have gotten the respect and the money that they should have gotten when they were at the top, like George St. Pierre. He said he offered him a dumb bag. He said no, and that George said, I'm not in that world anymore. He offered Nick Diaz a dumb bag, and then he says, when I say dumb, I mean pushing to eight figures, a lot of money. They both said no. Well, then he clarifies, sorry, Nick didn't say no. Nick liked the comment. So I don't know what that means, but people that I respect, people that I thought were goats, and now that the money's coming to the sport, I want those people to get paid first because it's a partnership. Now, look, all that, I loved hearing it, right? It's called the Realist International Promotion Trip is the acronym. Uh, And he wanted to start with 
fellow legends like himself. But I guess they're not interested. I don't know what's next for him. And honestly, like, how do you recoup that money? I guess is my question. Unless you're going somewhere where they love to throw away dumb bags like Saudi Arabia, perhaps. How do you recoup eight figures? Uh, that means 10, 10 million, folks, which I can't imagine Tyron wouldn't want some of that as well. So how do you recoup 15 to, to 20 million? You know what I mean? Like, And I doubt Tyron Woodley says, hey, let's split it. Like He's probably asking for way more than whatever his opponent's getting. Uh, that's that's pretty odd. Yeah, because I've heard behind the scenes, Masvidal puts together good fights. Pettis puts together good fights. There's promotions out there. There's former fighters trying to do their thing. Fans go. They show up. They don't go to the biggest arenas, but they show up. It creates a buzz. We all love the fights. But at the end of the day, whatever was supposed to come in, gate and all that, it has fallen short. So that's why you haven't seen, you know, a few of these come back necessarily with a vengeance. Um, it's not easy. It's not an easy game to go through. So there must be just be somebody willing to, you know, offer dumb bags full of money. Anyway, we're going to come back with the 2020 Coach of the Year for MMA Junkies uh, year-end awards, Eric Nixick. He's already bagged some awards this year from other outlets. I don't know that we've revealed um, our coach of the year yet because that's kind of what we've been doing the last few weeks or the last few days. Congrats to Sean Strickland and Alexa Grasso taking home the two biggest trophies, I guess, that we give out, which are male and female fight of the year. But, yeah, we'll be back with Eric Nixick. What's up, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes checking in here. It's the end of the year, and we're wrapping up a lot of, uh, you know, finishing touches on a great 2023 for the sport, the sport of mixed martial art, everything that brushes up on the sport. And, of course, uh, not a better person in the world to do this with than our good friend Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture. He's the general manager there. He's one of their head coaches over there. And he's a good friend of the show. What's going on, Eric? How are you? Good to see you, brother. Yeah. No, it's been been a good year. Now he's starting to talk about it. Yeah. Went by uh went by pretty fast. But the start of that year was a little rocky, you know, not knowing where where the big guy was gonna go and everything else. So no, it's it finished up the year nicely. That was January of 2023 when Dana, I believe after a fight night, said that they parted ways, he's free to go. And yep. of course, the whole fumble the bag thing started and um We'll get to that in a second, but what I wanted to ask you, are you the type of guy that can that you draw up plans or goals for the following year? You know, I'm not I'm not a a year by year guy. Um there I think you you have bullet points on kind of what you want to accomplish, but um I don't give it like an end of a timeline sort of thing, you know, where it's like, oh, I want to try to accomplish this within a year, but it it, it does give you a definite like so a focus, a focus point, if you will. So um, for me, I think there's things that I always try to look at, like what, what can I do better? How can I um, be more efficient? What, what, how did this year look and areas that I can grow? Things like that. But um, for the most part, I, I, I try to do that monthly, weekly, you know, daily, because I think you put a, if you put a time stamp on it, sometimes you don't accomplish it in that time, but it doesn't mean it's still not a good goal. Could you ever have imagined, this is what I'm getting at, that, in late 2023, if you were forecasting ahead, 
sorry, in, in late 2022, if you could have forecasted late 2023 that it would have went down like this? Because, look, I know you love your guys, but let me just say a few things here. Sean Strickland had, hadn't had had the best 2022. And then in 2023, he turned it around. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He went light heavyweight, middleweight, and then middleweight title. And then Francis Ngannou, of course, he had kind of been stuck in this whole thing since, you know, the surreal gone fight, the injury, uh, the contract dispute. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, like I say, the end of 2023 was amazing, you know, but and I'm sure there's other fighters as well that contributed to this with those two big ones, man. Did, could you have even conceived the way it went down? Honestly, with with those guys and those individuals, I think that. I would say yes, because I just know who they are and what they're capable of and just kind of sticking to the same mindset that got us where we were at today was just, you know, head down and grind and keep working and -hmm. good things will happen. You know, I I know Sean was very discouraged after the Jared Cannonier fight. And, you know, I think that's a nice part about having each other is that like if one's down, the other one's there to pick the other guy up and, and kind of, you know, brush them off and get them back to work. And that was kind of my role after the Cannonier fight. Where it's like, hey, man, th- this division is a-, a division that Izzy's pretty much ran all the way through. And the nice thing for us is we're the one guy you haven't fought, you guys haven't fought. So we go out, go out and get a couple good wins. That puts us right back into the situation where we could be fighting Izzy again. We just got to focus on one win at a time. So, you know, I know that that loss hurt him. and He was bummed out about it. Still feel like he won and all those things. But at the end of the day, man, we can't cry over spilled milk. It's time to get back to work. You know, and then with with Francis, honestly, it was just a situation that, you know, I just knew that this guy was going to be on top of whatever he was going to do. Honestly, with the, the skill set and the mind that this guy has, adversity is nothing to him. So it was just a matter of just getting him in the right position to to be successful. And credit to him, man, he he waited it out. He got the opportunity he wanted, and you know, we saw the results. The bag was not fumbled, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> did you see Aljo complaining about he thought the O'Malley fight was going to be more lucrative and it turns out it wasn't or whatever? How does it work with boxing? I mean, I don't know what you can tell us, but he obviously he fought well. Many thought he won. The bag was not fumbled. Um, but for you guys, for your team, I mean, did, did it wind up being – more lucrative in boxing than MMA or whatever. Like what, what, what was that, I guess, like, or, you know, has that been one of those things where the numbers have trickled out yet or, or does that take longer? How, how's it even work in boxing? I, I mean, it was the most money I've ever been paid by a fighter. Um, it was, wow. it was unbelievable. You know, it was more than I expected. I wasn't expecting, you know, and obviously Francis is always taking great care of me. Um, but uh, it, 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 it floored me. Like when I saw my, my Wells Fargo, um account that morning and it literally brought me to tears that's a true story literally brought me to tears because he changed my life you know and not only in a from a professional standpoint but uh, a monetary standpoint it allowed me uh, a lot of financial freedom to be able to enjoy my coaching enjoy um being a, a dad and a husband and you know i get to take my kids to park city this weekend my daughter's 16th birthday you know helped us buy a new car like there's a lot of things that just with Francis moving over to boxing and then his, his, the way he takes care of his team, man, he loves every single one of us and he shows it. Um, he takes care of us and I couldn't thank him enough. So this includes Francis, the boxer outpaying Francis, the MMA fighter 
and then your other guys along the way, which we're not in any way trying to disparage, obviously. We're just pointing out that this was one heck of a payment. So yet again, reemphasizing that a bag was not fumbled because it seems like every, everyone felt uh, felt some of this, right? The, yeah, the I mean, he, you know, and, and remember, like, as his head coach, I got his, the two title fights um, with Stipe and Gone. Um, he paid me. He paid me more for the for the Tyson Fury fight as basically his assistant behind my uh, behind Dewey. You know, I was behind Dewey, and I got paid way well more, way more than I than I did in the Gone and, and Stipe fight. And he was, you know, he was taking care of me on that as well, percentage wise. So, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> uh, if he wants to box, man, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, all day long, brother. Well, that says a lot about what they say about boxing, how it's very top-heavy for the athletes. Um, And it also says something about Francis Ngannou's generosity. I don't know that we've ever covered this publicly. And if we have, then I'll repeat it because I think it's awesome. But Francis, aside from obviously taking care of his coaches, uh, has had an impact at the gym. I mean, when all that new equipment rolled through, that was his doing. Yeah, he you know, uh, after the Stipe fight, he bought the gym – uh, entirely 24,000 square feet, you know, of, of mat space, essentially not the entire gym. We are a 24,000 square foot gym, but, um, probably eight to $10,000 or a uh, uh, square foot worth of, worth of mats. You know, he came in and brought a check to, to Ryan and said, you know, I want to, want to contribute to some improvements in the gym. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's always, always had that attitude, his charity, taking care of everybody around him. You know, and I think that's something that he he loves to do. You know, and, it, and it's great because it helps all of us. And it's that rising tide raises all ships mentality. So you know, and and guys are going to go to battle for him. Uh, Dude, Eric, I do want to ask you, fuzzy, man. I don't want to sound corny, but obviously you guys know I'm in a delicate situation here with what I'm going through with my mom. But everything he told me, man, that's just so cool yeah. to hear great stories of people that have the means. They don't have to, but right. to be able to share it and change lives eric you said this guy changed your life i mean that's that's fucking phenomenal man yeah no 100 percent. and you know like even in the past like where i've i've said you know you changed my life and and he's but he's he's never really been emotional about it. he's like no you've you've changed mine too you know what i mean and you you can't really put a dollar amount on on the relationship that we all have together but you just being in this game as long as i have now just when when you have a fighter that can support you um and and you know give you money and pay you for what you know what you're worth even but just taking care of you and, and caring about the time and effort that you put it in together and how much it helps your family and all those things man it really it really does feel good and you know all my fighters are like that but you know especially when francis is in a situation that he's in now it really you really feel it oh. eric you know that we talk about what francis did and and how it, it trickles down to to coaches and there's also a way where some of the things that he's done trickles over to some of the fighters that are still in the UFC, the way they negotiate things going forward, what's going to happen. And then what he did in PFL, right. And what he's been able to secure for his opponents that along with PFL purchasing Bellator, all that, can you maybe talk about the landscape of MMA in 2024 and just how different that will be? I'm sure there's a lot of different puzzle pieces and, and some fighters feel like, hey, there's one less place to go now. But some of the top guys feel like, hey, we got some negotiating power. There's so many things. Can you maybe talk about that uh, that trickle effect? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think the, the jury's still out on it. But I, I think it does show that you're able to go outside of the UFC and, and still be successful. 
it's it's hard to it's hard to put an evaluation on something though when you when you're thinking about Francis and his star power and who and what he's capable of doing. Now, can like Jeremy Kennedy do that same thing? I don't know. Like, there's there's guys that I just don't know if that's that's going to work out in their favor the same way it did for Francis. But it it also I think gives guys more options, and I think more options are are important to have. You know, it's interesting to think about the availability now with sponsorships and some of the money that they can generate by. You know, going into PFL and then, you know, Francis had some big sponsors when he fought gone that he wasn't even able to use because he was, um, you know, using crypto.com or whatever it was on our chest. He couldn't use Coinbase. And there's there's a lot of money, a lot of revenue that gets missed out on. So it's going to be interesting to see that the type of fighter, um, do they have a name? Do they have a look? Do they have some notoriety that they can build off their brand um, and then use that sponsorship kind of avenue to make make good money doing that stuff? So um it'll be interesting to see i I, would, I was actually talking to ray today about the pfl and the bellator situation and kind of what his outlook is on that um because i have a lot of guys in both so you know just curious on how it's going to be and from what ray tells me man it's you know it's going to be pretty cool to be able to have both working in the next two years bellator i think is kind of going to stay the same with kogan running uh, the matchmaking and then pfl will do their things but they'll be able to draw off of each other's rosters i i'm, I'm pretty excited to see how that, that that's going to work you know, George brought up Sean Strickland earlier in the interview, and he is our 2023 male fighter of the year. So he's had a great year. Um, he's a guy that every time we go to the gym, he's there. There's rarely a time where we show up and he's not there. The guy puts in work. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to ask you the question in this this manner. What happened with Drikas at the uh, event, I want to say probably pulls another gear out of this dude. But mm-hmm. I don't know that there are many gears to pull front. Like the dude is very dedicated. Yeah. But did it motivate him more? Is it difficult as a coach to kind of level that with, hey, we also have game plans and that's something that we've been working on? What is it like to balance those things? Um, you know, I did mention that to him. Uh I did I did say, like, hey, you know, fighting emotional is not who we are. Um and stylistically. I think that favors Drikas more. Uh, it opens us up more. So we need to stick with our game plan and stick with what we, we want to do. But don't allow your emotions to take this over. There's two sides of that coin. You know, Sean Sean has no problem saying what he says about everybody else, you know. So people are going to probably poke and say things about him as well. I, I, I think it's a, it's a tough road to toe, you know. So we can't get too emotional about those situations. You know that they are just words, and and but at the end of the day, I, I did feel like that he was triggered, and there was a few days where you know just kind of motivated him. Hey, he would, the motivation was there, believe me. But I wanted him to understand that we had we needed to have the right motivation. He didn't need to be this infuriated guy going in there. I want to kill this guy because that takes us out of our game. It takes us out of our element, and what we're good at. You know. So, uh, but he's been great ever since then, and we had a good conversation about it. And, I just told him I was proud of him, you know, I, and I don't think a lot of people really understand the, 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 the amount of people that reached out to me after he won. Um, he speaks for a demographic. He really does. And, and so many people I think have this type of upbringing where, you know, they had parents that might've been abusive or they, they had, they, you know, they dealt with a broken home and all these things that Sean might've dealt with. He's kind of there, their, I guess, voice in a lot of ways, but what they're seeing now is somebody becoming successful and that, that motivation for them is huge because they know that they can do it too. 
and that's been the common denominator. A lot of times when people reach out to me, they're like, man, you know, my dad was the same way. My dad did this and this and that. And, you know, seeing Sean be able to rise through all that and become a world champion motivates me to be better at this. And I told him that I was like, bro, I don't think you realize like just how much influence you have on these, on a lot of these people that might've had the same upbringing as you. So, you know, it's important to, to carry that with you and, and be the voice for these people. That's awesome. And back to Francis Ngannou for a second, Deontay Wilder, right? It's a name that has been talked about going into the PFL under mixed rules. Um, I don't know. Would you rather see him in boxing? And if that were to happen, do you think Francis has done enough where possibly if you add that to maybe Deontay's performance over the weekend, could Francis be the A-side and something like that? Yeah, I do. Um, unfortunately, I was kind of bummed to see Wilder lose. But, you know, Joseph, Joseph Parker's no slouch either. So, um, But it, it does take a little bit of the luster off of a Nganu-Wilder fight, in my opinion. Don't, don't you know, who knows what these guys have in store. But, um, you know, had he won that fight, I think it definitely puts it puts us in a better situation for selling point, right? And if it ends up being a mixed rules, are we going to fight him in MMA first, then boxing or whatever, however it's going to shake out. But after the weekend, it's like, man, I feel like Francis and Joshua is the better matchup, especially in the, in, on the boxing side of things, if that's what he ends up doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Francis versus anybody at this point, I'm just sold. <laughs> 100%. Uh, Fajeda... Bader, uh, Wild, well, yeah, maybe goes as right. I mean, Wilder in boxing, Wilder in MMA. I mean, come on, Eric, shoot us straight. Wilder in boxing. I'm sorry, Wilder in MMA. We're kind of wasting time. We're gonna we're gonna wax that guy, right? I mean, yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'd rather just. I mean, I think Francis is just gonna be more competitive in boxing, which isn't his main sport, than Wilder in MMA, which isn't his main sport. Yeah. Right? the same way and does do you think francis kind of feels the same way because i mean one leg kick come on man or it's or, a wrap yeah it's a wrap yeah I, I actually really like the fajeda fight you know and uh, uh francis and i talked about that fight as well you know i think he was out there for um i don't know if he's out there for the finals but when he was home we, we were talking about that he's like man this guy's good like i i think it'd be a really good fight you know and and hopefully the the pfl can build that name a little bit more uh as as time goes on but for me right now, man, it's it's whatever Francis decides. I know he talked about hopefully getting back to MMA March or April, but um, you know it's already January, so we haven't had a really had had a name or heard anything. So who knows what's next? Because he isn't. I know a lot of people won't believe this, but I don't. He doesn't strike me as being money driven. You know, I really mm-hmm. feel like freedom, respect had a lot to do with, along with being compensated fairly you know you talked about missed sponsorships and stuff but can you tell can you tell what he's just more antsy for does he want to get back to wrestling and leg kicks and do the old four ounce glove thing or did boxing kind of change his appetite a little for you know like maybe more of that like what can you tell which way he's honestly he's a competitor you know and, and i'll tell you what he wants he wants that tyson fury rematch you know after he had a taste of that and then the competition level that you know, many people thought that he won. Uh, I actually sat down and rewatched the fight on Sunday. It's the first time I watched it uh, since then. And and man, like there's so many great things. I was just I was blown away. Like I mean, obviously I was there live and watching and cornering him, but um, watching it again and then looking at like okay, there's some areas that we can improve on and even be better at. And then there's some things that I think cardio wise that he was felt more more comfortable as the fight went on. 
Um, I think it would make for a, a, a more dangerous Francis Ngannou if we were able to get that rematch. So I know that's something that he really wants, and maybe that's in the future. Um, because of the showing, I think that's something Tyson Fury would be interested in. I mean, now more people are going to go, okay, Francis does have a shot to win this fight. It's going to bring more eyes to the situation rather than the first time around where everybody's like, oh, this guy's going to get smoked. So, um, But while we're there, man, I mean, you know, I think, I think to be honest with you, I think that's what he wants the most. Uh, he's been back in the gym. He's been sparring. He's been kicking and doing everything else. But I definitely think the competition side of him wants that, wants that rematch. I was just thinking of something as you were talking, but Fajeda just getting his name uttered by someone on Team Nganu or Nganu himself, which in this case you kind of quoted Nganu that, hey, this guy's a good fighter. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's not forget the opponent gets $2 million. Anyone that's in that running has got to be a little tickled to death, right? I mean, 100%. You know, you got you got Impa calling him out now and everybody else. <laughs> right, they know. Yeah. You know they they know they know uh, what's on the other side of that uh, of that bag. You know guys are going to be making good money if they if they step in there and fight them. So um, it, it is it opens up a lot more options. That's for sure because of the payday. This is a perfect question for you. You're a Vegas guy, all right? Born, raised, and lived there all your life. Proud Vegas fella. Saudi Arabia did come strong. Riyadh, Saudi Arabia did come strong for that event. Any other events? prior to or subsequent, but it really looked like they puffed their chest out. They flew in a lot of people. They invested a lot of money. They had musical acts. They had the stage come up. I mean, it was really, really top-notch. Now, me, I've only been in Vegas 15 years, goes 16, but we kind of feel like it's an adopted home now for us as well. It kind of chapped my hide, Eric, to hear that that could be the location, uh, maybe the I don't know if it's they're looking at themselves as a sporting capital or a combat sports capital. I'm not saying um, someone can't be a great number two, but did it did it blow you away like that where it could overtake beloved Las Vegas, the rich history of Las Vegas and what it's done? I mean, because Vegas boxing matches bring in the hustle, you know, the, yeah. the celebrities, the, you know, it, it really can take over a town. So where do you fit on this? Uh, I, I'm with you, George. It, it blew me away. Let's, it was it was nice, and I loved every bit of it. But when you when you start to compare it to Vegas, I don't think anybody does it better than Vegas. And we, we have the infrastructure to do it. You know, we have the hotels. We have you know the the every means possible to get the people that were there to Vegas just as easy. And I I think it would be even more successful with an event like what they put on. If you put that in Vegas, I think it's even more successful. To be honest with you. That's not taking anything away with what Saudi did. I think they did a great job, and they took great care of everybody there. But obviously, me being a Vegas boy, I'm partial to those those Mike Tyson, you know, and uh, yeah. the, the Lennox Lewis and and those fights that we had, and and Evander Holyfield, and you know, they were just amazing, and the town was buzzing. Saudi Arabia doesn't really have that like feel to the town. It's not electric. The arena was. The arena was, but. You know, there's not billboards up, and and um, you know, there's not after parties, and not, you know, it's not. It would, it, just, it didn't have that same vibe and feel that it does as it would in Vegas. So, I think that they can get up there. I think they can they can do some really good things out there, and I, I envision ourselves being out there quite a bit. But nothing stacks up to Vegas. So they go to toe to toe on fight night, but fight week post fight, that's where they come up a little short against Vegas. Yeah, right? not even close. Not even close. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, tell us about the rest of the crew. I'm sure Jeremy Kennedy has a great shot of fighting 
for a world title. So does Manel Cop. Who yeah. else are you looking at for 2024 forecasting that they could be, you know, fighting for gold? Yeah, definitely those two uh, really jump off the page for me. And, and you know, poor Jeremy's in a weird situation, man. He hasn't he hasn't fought since February. Um, he got a win, and and he was he was a uh, number one contender. And then Pitbull fought, you know, Sergio Pettis. He fought in Risen. He did all these things, but defend the belt in Bellator, you know. So it put put Jeremy in a peculiar situation to where now PFL being um, buying Bellator, where does that leave him? And then you got um, you know you got Manel who's looked amazing. Uh, we have a tough fight against Mateus Nicolau, uh, January thirteenth, and I think if Manel has a great showing and and can go out and get a finish, um, it puts him right there in title contention. I, I mean, maybe one more after that, um, and then you know we might be seeing him fighting for gold here in, in 2024 as well. So, you know, then you have Patchy Mix unifying the belt um, from yeah. Bellator. He did an amazing job. Uh, who else? Yeah, I think Tatiana Suarez is probably a fight away from from yeah. her fighting for a title as well within the gym and then you got Ankalaev um he's back in the room he's fighting Johnny Walker January 13th and you know another guy who's who's very close to um to UFC gold also so the, you know the gym the gym is doing such a great job but you know what i love so much is every one of every one of our coaches is 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 successful guys had a great year the entire gym had a great year because of it and um you know it's motivating to see like you enjoy going into work and everyone's pushing each other in the right direction yeah and let's not leave out misha tate who had a great resurgence in texas i think it was austin texas that division with amanda nunez moving on you have you know some contenders that misha's kind of mixed it up with she did take an l against pennington but she also beat juliana pena you know a former champion someone who's Probably going to fight the winner of Buena Silva versus Pennington. And with obviously her being probably, you know, a, a, one of those that can draw and, and sell tickets, I'm sure the UFC might, you know, maybe with one more win, she could be in the mix too. Yeah, that's a great point. And she had a great showing in her last fight. She did an awesome job. She, and, yeah, she went for it, man. You know, it, it, she looked great. So couldn't be happier for her as well. And and you're right. That puts her, you know, just from notoriety alone and, and former champion, I think that puts her right back up in those ranks again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As always, it's a blast to talk to you, uh, and we're so happy for your success. Seeing that you uh, are now part of the Monster Energy team, and and like I say, I, I think you've already taken down a few Coach of the Year awards this year. So, congrats on not just you, the whole team, Extreme Couture success. I appreciate you guys, man, I, and, and all your love and support over the years, man, it means the world to me. Awesome, Thank you. Man. Happy holidays, Biggie. All right, talk to you guys. Wow. Somebody got a dumb bag, huh? <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. Good for Eric Nixon. There's it though. Yeah. His biggest payday in boxing, did I hear him right? Exceeded all of his MMA payouts or uh the last combined two. or just okay. Gone and uh Stipe. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um yeah, I mean, thank you to Eric Nixick for his time, obviously. And moving on with the news, or did you want to say anything more about that? I, I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting how he said, as an, another thing he said was as an assistant coach, he made more than as a head coach with the same guy. It's just yeah, two different like, sports. That, that kind of shed a light a little bit, right? That's even crazier, you know, because he's the third third guy there. Or, well, I guess technically second behind, behind Dewey Cooper. So... 
uh, good for Francis, good for the whole team. You know, all they've been doing since he left the UFC is proving everybody wrong that said that this couldn't happen. Uh, a lot, a lot of things fell in Francis Ngannou's favor. You know, just uh, just getting the fight was pretty massive. And I think a lot of people thought he wasn't even going to get that. But then performing the way he did on top of it was pretty damn amazing. And then, uh, you know, for all that to trickle down to the people that help him become who he is is pretty commendable. Mm -hmm. A few more things here. And by the way, speaking of awards, quick plug on Tuesday, January 2nd, we'll be doing Spinning Backlick, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It'll be a year-end award show. So tune in. We haven't been doing the last two Mondays. Well, actually, the last Monday, which was Christmas, and the next Monday, which is New Year's. We've moved it to Tuesday, but uh, one was recapping the biggest stories in MMA. That was a few days ago. And then the one coming up on Tuesday will be year-end award show. So check that out. Tuesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. The following week, we'll be back at our normal time. And it's live every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Moving on goes Holly Holm, her manager, Lenny Fresquez, says he wants Holm versus Misha Tate at UFC 300. And But he says that Misha's not feeling it. In fact, she's turned down Holly Holm over time, three, three times since the time that they fought when Misha Tate defeated her at UFC 196 in March of 2019, the fifth round submission. The hell of a comeback, the one of the greatest comebacks ever. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree with Fresquez. That would be one heck of a fight to, 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 to have, to see. But according to him, quote, she wants nothing to do with Holly. She's turned down the fight three times already. We're looking for someone tougher. <laughs> that was a nice little shot on the way out. Yeah, it was. It's um, That one almost makes too much sense. You know, that that's a perfect fight for a UFC 300. I think it's a great one because the UFC is able to use two fighters who are kind of on their way out and make that fight more important. Uh, I think it would be really, really fun. So Misha not wanting, I know she had mentioned that she did have an injury that she's trying to, to kind of get through. Um, I hope it happens. I think that would be really good. I think that card needs something like that. Yeah, I guess she spoke to MMA fighting at the World MMA Awards, and she sounded interested in it. However, she did say there was a, a little bit of an injury coming out of her fight in Austin, Texas, uh, recently. So maybe that maybe she just needs to see if she can get through that and then get back uh, to do it. I mean, look, I think Misha's playing with house money. If she beats her again, she's up to nothing. If she loses, okay, we're one-one. Maybe this turns into something serious, and you know heated rival or something and they can make something out of a third fight but you know that, that that's i don't know uh, for right now i i uh i kind of i kind of warm to it to the fight i'll tell you that much yeah i think it's good i think it makes sense misha's 37 holly's 42 so they don't have really too much time to mess around they should get into any type of a contender fight that they can get that gets them close to a title fight because i don't think that division i think it's up for grabs myra bueno silva versus raquel pennington i mean that yeah. just doesn't seem like the winner is going to hold on to the belt that long. You know, I know Juliana Pena probably has next. And then who comes next after that? You know, it could be many people. I've even th- 
thought Shevchenko could come back up. I mean, the only person that really stopped her was Amanda Nunes, and she's gone. So even mm-hmm. she could be a contender. Even Jermaine Durand, I mean, after having a baby and being in her early 40s, she could drop or she could come back in, you know, out of retirement and do her thing. She's got a lot of big wins, too, over a lot of fighters. So the division could turn exciting again. Let's not forget about it. the Aldanas of the world and Kevin Vera's of the world and all that. But I really do think it's up for grabs. How about Teddy Atlas? Um, he did do a good job of weaseling his way out of the headline that we put up, which was his quote, by the way. Teddy Atlas on Mike Tyson. I don't know if he was ever great. I read that and I was like, come on. How could he possibly say that? Right. He goes through this long explanation goes. And he does give give him a ton of props. I don't quote. I don't know if there's ever been such a combination of speed and power, you know, to the pure level that he had and things like that, right? That he obviously just you know was a great puncher. Um, but what he did say goes was adversity. Overcoming adversity was a problem with Mike Tyson. And if you're not great in every single category, speed, power. Uh, accuracy, cardio, whatever, then he says, can we really call you great? So I see his point, although I don't know. I think you can still be great and have one Achilles heel, you know what I mean, in in your arsenal. I kind of would disagree with him there. And I just don't find anyone on the planet, if you were to ask anyone on the planet that knows boxing, hey, was Mike Tyson great? You're not going to get many no's, so it, Teddy Atlas better not hold that arm out for a fist bump. His arm's going to get tired. Yeah, I think if you if you read it, you might sort of think, okay, I get where he's coming from, but then you have to instantly think, by that reasoning, that would mean Dan Marino was never great. Right? Charles scramble. Barkley, Carl Malone, they were never great. Uh, they lost a lot, you know, in in finals. But they were great, you know. It's just a little little aspect of their career that they weren't able to achieve. And um, yeah, Mike Tyson was an absolute menace. His mechanics were incredible, his speed, his power. I think when people stopped being afraid of him, maybe it hurt a little bit of his he game. He talked about that. Yeah, but he it talked doesn't about the intimidation factor. It doesn't it doesn't mean that he's not great. And the other thing about all this is you have to remember Teddy Atlas and Mike Tyson have a history of not liking each other. So there's probably a little bit of that sometimes that gets thrown in there. Yeah, he actually thought Evander Holyfield wasn't that great, but Evander Holyfield wasn't intimidated and took it to him. You know, when things weren't going his way, he stuck in there and fought back and got his hand raised twice. Uh, and then he pointed to the Dustin or Dustin Buster Douglas fight, you know, Buster Douglas was just a fight where I think the intimidation was gone after a certain time. And that's when Mike Tyson wasn't able to rally. Again, I don't think it doesn't make him great. I think he was definitely great, but it's a long explanation, you know, winding roads to get to your point. And uh, I don't know. Not that I minded reading the article. It was interesting hearing all those quotes, hearing his perspective, but I, I just couldn't disagree more. I think Dan Reno is a great example of he was a great quarterback, but he did have one Achilles heel. That guy could not run. He could not run mm-hmm. at all. He was terrible at scrambling, but he was still a great quarterback. He never won the big prize, but he got to one, maybe two. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, 
Uh, last thing here, uh, Sean Merriman, who did play football, says he thinks Tony Ferguson should retire. He kind of brought him up as an example, really similar to what um, I guess he went through as an NFL star where the body just it wouldn't produce what it what he wanted it to produce. You know, he was a defensive player of the year, some all pro, some pro bowls. And at some point you just you couldn't do it anymore, you know. And so, uh, you know, Ferguson's name came up and he just thought, man, you've been great, Tony, but it could be time for you to, you know, call it a career. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree with that. Um, and it's another high-level athlete sharing his opinion. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not a bad take. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, last thing goes, John Anik. Uh, it's funny because I think John Anik cheerleads for Bilal Muhammad. His twin, Jason Anik, co-hosts with Bilal Muhammad. So I, I feel like there's obviously – He's being, I think he's transparent enough that no one would ever accuse him of being a cheerleader. But then I started thinking about something, and now I'm going to sound like a cheerleader because I'm a big John Anik fan. John Anik told us if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. So if he does five interviews, who's not going to throw that question at him? Hey, what do you think about the whole Bilal Muhammad, Deion Edwards right. thing? You know, so I saw this quote and I just thought, hmm, boy, there sure is a lot of support from John Anik for Bilal Muhammad. And you know, may, I wonder how this sits with other fighters, you know, because obviously John Anik really comes to bat for him. And and not that Muhammad needs it. I mean, he's got the 10-fight win streak. He's beating contenders. So he's all over it. Bilal Muhammad doesn't need John Anik's endorsements. But John Anik's endorsements are there. And, of course, because of that, the synergy between, you know, the brother and the co-host and, and you know, all that um, – you know, I just feel like a lot of you are going to start coming at John Anik, but I guess I'm here to say, uh, look, I, if you've listened, if you ever caught him on our show, he just says, I answer questions if you ask them, and I'm truthful. I don't dodge them. So I think that's what it is. Here goes. It's just yet another podcast caught up with him, and, you know, he, he knows it's out there. Yeah, probably. But you're right. Like, Bilal Muhammad doesn't need it. All, all of uh he's got all of the facts you know he, he could just walk into a room and drop it all on the table and that that alone should be enough evidence there but uh somehow he's just they, they make him work hard to get get anything i would like to ask leon edwards though why did your coach or you i can't remember who it was even bring up gilbert burns's name it's not that i don't think burns is a stud of course i do He's fought for a title. Um, he's fought. He's beaten a lot of good fighters. And when he loses, he really doesn't get his ass kicked. Even against Shemayev, he put up a hell of a fight. In fact, I think he's the one that put, pretty much revealed the first chink in the armor of Hamzat Shemayev. Even though he's undefeated, you know, he tested him pretty well. But Falau clearly beat him this year, 2023. I don't even have to point back to 2019. It was during COVID. It was this. It was that. No, man. A fair fight took place in May where even Dana White said the winner gets Leon Edwards or something like that. And of course, it wound up being Colby Covington, and that one turned out to be a dud. So hopefully the UFC learned their lesson. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, don't they even think before they talk? I guess not. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. Zero sense. 
I am pretty sure that if another fighter wanted to test Leon Edwards, I don't know how active Leon Edwards is, but if, for example, who can I think of here? If Peter Yan were, no, is that a good example? No, I don't know. I can't think of one. But what I'm saying is if in another weight class, a, a champion said something similar and Leon Edwards was perusing Twitter, I'm sure it would occur to him. That's kind of bizarre. <laughs> this guy beat that guy earlier this year. Why are you saying that, champ? Like, doesn't that go through his head? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, like it's weird. And Gilbert's got a matchup now, and it's I think it's a good one that makes sense. But who's he got? Uh, Della Mata Magdalena. Oh, that is a good one. There, man, mm-hmm. welterweight division has some great matchups, by the way, folks. But that matchup and, makes sense. Yeah, you got Ian Gary against Jeff Neal. Della Madalena against Gilbert Burns. Yeah, that's some, those are some good ones right there. Um, it's got to be Leon versus Bilal. I really – Kamaru surprised me. I mean, on short notice, he fought well. I, I think he could come back to 170 and still be a beast. He beat everyone but Leon. So if Leon can somehow get out of the way, I think Kamaru's still a force to be reckoned with. I still haven't given up on Colby. I think Colby, uh, the person who I – Got to know uh, was was cool. Colby, the fighter, I think just the layoff hurt him. Uh, and I haven't given up on that guy. But the shtick, all right, that guy, I'm done with that guy. I, th- I think he's I think he's funny to a point, but it's just kind of gotten ridiculous. But mm-hmm. I still think the end of we haven't seen the end of Colby. It's just going to be tough to give a, a person a fourth title shot. That one will be tough. So who knows? I think, uh, I think there's more of a chance of that than giving him a first shot at being governor. Governor of Florida, thank you for bringing that up. We were just about to wrap up the show. He did say that. But see, yet again, I think you just file that out under ridiculousness. You know, like, is he serious? Is he not? I mean, he is all in. He was on Tucker Carlson. He was on Fox News. I think Jesse Waters or whatever and doing his thing. And I don't know. Like, I, I there's just got to be a point where you kind of take off the mic and whoever goes with, with you, you just kind of go. Is this starting to get stupid? You know, is this dumb? Like, how did that one sound? And then the guy just kind of goes, yeah, bro, let's go in another direction. Like, this this is getting old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean. It was a man, sound beating he took. As crazy as it sounds, is it any less crazier than the guy from The Apprentice becoming the president or uh, the guy who starred in Predator being the governor of California? You know, like, I don't know. Especially in that state, man. It's a wild, wild west over well, there. Okay. Um, the governor, I guess he had zero politics experience. At least he had a little bit in his family, right? Yes, true. He was married to Maria Shriver, who was part of the Kennedy clan. And um, with Trump, I've considered him a failed businessman, but obviously he's found a way to make money so there was some experience there in terms of like high level i don't know what you would call high level negotiating or diplomacy or who knows what whereas colby just i don't know that he has any of that i don't even know that he's really uttered things other than talking points but um yeah that one would be pretty crazy the other two i can say yeah i believed them i mean i lived them Mm -hmm. you know but this one would be crazy even jesse the body ventura that was nuts man 
but see, like former Navy SEAL, former pro wrestler. Uh, what else did he do? I think a little some acting. Like it seemed like he got his chops in many different ways at a high level, you know, in different forms of you know entertainment or sporting or whatever. And so to to think that could he do this in politics? Yeah, maybe he could apply some of that there. Whereas Kobe's just been straight, straight athlete. I you know, I don't he's he hasn't really brushed up on anything else, and it's been this ridiculous shtick that kind of works. He's one hell of a fighter. I'm not going to take that away from him, but I don't know that he's gotten his chops in different realms of life to sell me on. You know, I think he could pull it off. I just don't think it could pull, off, pull it off. Chael, real estate, um, behind the mic, fighting. Like, I don't know. I, that, that one sounds more realistic to me. But he yeah. tried it once. It didn't work. What's crazy is uh, that movie Predator produced – Two governors, huh? Who was the other one? Jesse the Body and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, yeah, duh. That is weird. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right. All right, folks. We're going to get on out of here. I think it's our last show of the year. And so, look, happy holidays. That covers everyone, right? Hope you had a nice Christmas, a Merry Christmas. And obviously, we hope you have a safe and happy New Year. I'm not telling you don't party. Go out and party. Just be safe. Call the Uber. Set that up. Have a designated driver, you know, and just get home safely, man. Uh, start off the new year fresh and write your goals down. It works for a lot of people. And hopefully you accomplished a lot of your goals in 2023. Anything you want to say, Ghost? No, just thank you for your support every year. You know, this is insane. That I don't know what the hell is going on with my voice right now, but that we get to do this uh, this type of job for so long. It's really been great. And keeping in touch with so many of the listeners and running into people, even at like karate combat and stuff, is always so much fun. Cool. All right, folks, go out and be a champion. As always, we'll talk to you in the new year. And don't forget about spinning back click on Tuesday, January 2nd, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. All right, take care.